This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. He became one of the most high-profile victims of cancel culture after raising concerns about vaccine damage, especially amongst sports people. Fears that continue to be derided by the establishment despite the recent revelation that over 1,200 claims have been made to the vaccine damages payment scheme. As a result of that and other controversial comments mostly centred on the coronavirus pandemic, Matt Letizier has been repeatedly deplatformed by the sporting world. In the space of a month, he was forced to step down from his role as an ambassador for Southampton FC and axed from speaking at an event with the Jersey Bulls Football Club. Well, he may have been silenced by the sport he loves, but he won't be here on Dan Wooten tonight. And it is a pleasure to say Matt Letizier joins me now. Matt, it's just so depressing, isn't it, that in the sporting world, they can't accept people who harbour different views. I mean, Matt, I agree with you on lots of things. There are certain things we don't agree with. But I absolutely think you deserve a platform to speak out. And I don't understand what's happened to football to try and shut you down. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think it's just football. I've got to correct you on, on one thing there, though, Dan. Um, the, the decision to resign my uh, place as an ambassador at Southampton Football Club was a decision that I took. Um, so I, I made that decision. And was that because you saw the pressure that was coming on the club? Yeah, so Southampton never forced me to resign. Got uh, it. They were getting a lot of complaints uh, from people um, about you know, the fact that I wasn't ambassador for the club and I shouldn't be. Um, and I didn't want the club to be in that position, quite frankly. So uh, I decided to um, do what I thought was the right thing uh, to protect Southampton Football Club. Um, and I resigned my position. It was as simple as that. Um, so the, the Jersey Bulls um situation was obviously something very different where i'd been booked to be their after dinner speaker at their end of season awards night and um yeah as you can see there uh that was me and then um itb jersey decided to uh, uh get involved in the situation where they contacted jersey bulls and told them that they would be uh, reporting on the event um and because there was a controversial speaker at the event uh, that they would be um, covering the event and putting it in a bad light um, and obviously Jersey Bulls didn't want that kind of negative publicity so they caved into the pressure that uh, ITV Jersey had, had put on them uh, and they decided uh, to um, terminate my uh, my appearance there uh, and that was that was the situation uh, and so I was a little bit surprised when they uh, they then put out a, a statement saying it was mutually agreed. Um, but it was mutually agreed because I didn't really have much choice in the matter. They decided that I wasn't going to be there, so I couldn't really do a lot about it. Um, but I'm not one to, to kick up a fuss. Um, uh, I understood the position that ITV Jersey had put them in. Uh, and it was, it was a pretty disgusting thing to do, I thought, of, yeah. of ITV Jersey. And not only that... They then decided to uh, put out a tweet on their on their Twitter page um, saying that I've been um, cancelled as the speaker because of a fan backlash, when indeed it was nothing to do with a fan backlash. It was all to do with they themselves putting pressure on the club 
uh, and I thought it was a pretty despicable way of behaving, quite frankly. Well, it is. And Matt, there is a real irony, isn't there? Because when it comes to what some would say, although I don't personally really view these as left-right issues anymore, by the way, but if you look at uh, someone on the other end of the political spectrum, I guess you could say, another British footballing legend, Gary Lineker, he spouts off constantly about very contentious and very sensitive political issues. I don't agree with virtually anything he says, but I absolutely respect his right to have those views. And no one's cancelling him, Matt. But he has come for <laughs> you as well online. Yeah, he has. Um, and, and you're right. You know, he's, he's posted a lot of stuff on Twitter. I've followed Gary for a long time um, on social media. Uh, and he posts a lot of things that that I don't agree with, uh, but there hasn't been there hasn't been one thing where I've disagreed with him uh, on something, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to really attack him for that because he's got a different opinion to me. That's not that's not how things should work. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. We're never all going to agree on everything the whole time. No, um, and we shouldn't. We, should, we shouldn't. We, but we either. should all. We should all be free to have our own opinions yes. um, and that's that's the way that life should be uh, if if we were all going to have the same thoughts the whole time uh, the world's going to be a pretty boring place and it's not really a place that I, I care to live in I, I think that one of my biggest concerns over this last couple of years has been the lack of uh, lack of debate mm. in uh, in public on the television uh, on social media the lack of debate that's been allowed uh, and we're only given one side of the story the whole time. And, and I'm sorry, but that's not how we progress as a society. Well, indeed. And I, I read again, uh, Matt, that the Times interview with you today, which caused a lot of the recent consternation. And the problem with the article was just the snaring tone throughout. And I think it summed up the attitude of most of the media over the past two and a half years, which is that if you question any part of the official narrative, you're somehow insane. And <laughs> that is a concern because there's been a lot of things that the government got wrong and that the media then in turn got wrong because they were parroting government talking points. Well, uh, I mean, when they were being... Uh, funded to the tunes of hundreds of million pounds by the uh, by the government. It's no surprise that they uh, uh, they went along with their uh, with their lines of, uh, of propaganda. So um, that has been a, a huge concern uh, for me over the last couple of years. I've, I've decided to to stick my head above the parapet and uh, and say what I thought um, because I thought it was the right thing to do. Uh, I, I always felt like very early on, common sense told you that lockdowns in the long term are going to be far more harmful for society um, than, than not having them. Uh, mm. And so uh, it was always a little bit frustrating for me. And, I, and I, I voiced my opinion. I got shouted down. I got a lot of abuse on social media. Um, but I don't really bow down to bullies uh, in my life. And um, they could criticize me all they want. The, they can have as many goes in the media at me as they want, um, but I'm afraid the truth will out uh, and I will stick to my guns and I will stand up for what I believe in. And sometimes I might be standing up for something that I believe in that might turn out to be wrong. 
And do you know what? If that does happen, I'll be the first person to hold my hand up and go, really sorry about that. I've got that one wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to change my opinion on that. Um, uh, and I'm not, I'm not big enough not to do that. Uh, I don't see that coming from uh, the, the other side of the media. No, and on that note, Matt, it seems that much of the negativity towards you has been because of your, let's say, inquiring mind when it comes to the COVID vaccines. We obviously had you on the programme many months ago to talk about your specific concerns regarding potential vaccine damage in sports people. This is an area that the rest of the media simply does not want to touch. And last night on my show, we spoke to a great man called Alex, who is in Scotland and was living a completely normal life as a very healthy 57-year-old until he had the AstraZeneca jab. And 12 days later, as a direct result, had his left leg amputated. Now, he's had virtually no mainstream media coverage. He's still not received any compensation from the government either. It's right to at least have this conversation, isn't it, without being accused of being some sort of anti-vaxxer? <laughs> that's, uh, that's a word that's been thrown at me uh, as well uh, over the last um, few months. Um, and I, I think you're absolutely right. You have to have balance. And if you're going to spend months and months and millions of pounds promoting the vaccines... Um, then I think you have to be fair uh, and I think you have to make sure that everybody knows that there are potential side effects to these vaccines. I think everybody is um, should absolutely have informed consent when they take these vaccines. And if you're not telling people what the dangers are um, and there are people who are proving, you know, there's been people who have passed away um, as a direct result of the vaccine. Um, but nobody will talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about that. And I think that's wrong. I think you have to be given all the information uh, and then you have to be able to decide for yourself. You have to personally say, well, what's what's the risks? What's the benefits? Is that going to be the right thing for me to do? And it's as simple as that. I'm, it's it's crazy to, to, I mean, I've had every vaccine I could possibly have had uh, in, in my life. up, And all of a sudden, because I decided to wait for a little bit more long-term safety data on this one, people shout anti-vaxxer at you, and it's just crazy. But the, the weird thing is, Dan, is that, you know, in real life, with all the people that I meet in real life, and I, and I get around quite a bit, you know, I, I go and do my after-dinner speeches around the country. I plan lots of charity golf days. I meet lots of different people. And people in real life are actually really lovely and very supportive and a lot of them will say to me do you know what thank you very much for speaking up for us because nobody's really given the people that think like us a voice and honestly i've barely had anybody come up to me face to face in real life uh, and start having a go at me for my views Um, and you know most people actually are very tolerant of people's different views uh, and they feel like freedom of speech is an important thing. Uh, and that's exactly how I feel. So it's nice that in, in real life, I have, a, I have a great life. It's only really the, uh, the fake social media life where I actually come under a lot of fire from people who um, I, I feel are, are morally, morally bankrupt is the way I would describe some of those people that 
just go about attacking you because you've got a different view to them. And uh, I, I care not a jot for their views uh, and they won't shut me up. Well, you will never be shut up on this show, Matt Letizia, the former Premier League footballer. Thank you so much. And of course, we will always present both sides of the stories here. ITV has denied Matt's claim about the Josie Bulls event, saying ITV Channel TV was never planning to cover the event and had absolutely no, no uh, and uh, had absolutely no bearing on this decision. We also today approached the Department of Health for comment about vaccine damage among sports people. They replied, all vaccines being used in the UK have met the medicines and healthcare products regulatory agencies' strict standards of safety. The vaccine damage payment scheme provides additional support to help ease the burden on individuals who have in extremely rare circumstances been severely disabled due to receiving a government-recommended vaccine. Megan Galley time. I usually struggle to think of anyone who could do a worse job at being US president than sleepy Joe Biden. But could he soon have a royal rival? Biden's sister and major Democratic figure Valerie Biden-Owens had this to say about the prospect of Meghan Markle running for president in an interview with Good Morning Britain. It's wonderful to have women in politics. More women, the more women we have the better our democratic system will work, a better point of view, a different point of view. And uh, we embrace all women and we welcome her to come in and join the Democratic Party. So you think she'll make a good potential candidate one day maybe for president? Yes, perhaps, of course she will. And those comments are being taken seriously. In a new Spectator column headline, Meghan Markle's presidential run appears inevitable. Alexander Lahman argues the appeal of a celebrity candidate for the Democrats will be strong. Well, Meghan Kelly, as you know, I covered Harry and Meghan throughout their entire time in the royal family. And someone very close to them over that time told me that Meghan's ultimate aim was always to run for the American presidency. But... Would the Democrats really be stupid enough to let that happen? You know what? The party elders might be. I still believe the Democratic Party would shut that down before it actually happened. And I certainly believe the country would shut it down yes. uh, before ever letting her within 16 feet of 1600 Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue. I mean, to me, it's like it's incredible because. First of all, I'm sure I'm sure they like her at the top of the Democratic Party because she's a woman. She's a woman of color. She's a star. She's married to a royal. She's woke. She likes to lecture people on woke leftist identity politics. You're in. Done. Great. Go for it. Right. <laughs> uh, the Democratic Party as writ large is not quite as woke and leftist as the people who run it appear to be. So let's hope that there'd be some brakes pumped. But the fact that these reports say She's unconfirmed reports that she's been meeting with top Democrats, spending time with top de Democrats. I'm like, I can confirm them. I see her with Oprah. I see her with Gail. Mm. I see her with George Clooney, her alleged new friends who aren't really friends at all. These just celebrities she stocked her wedding with because she wanted to rub el elbows with them. Those are those are all the top Democrats in this country. And um, I'm sure she is rubbing el elbows and I'm sure she'd love to be president one day because she, she appears to love the spotlight, uh, although she doesn't like to admit it. But what this shows me, the fact that she might even be considering it or might have her eye on that long term, because Joe Biden's sister is talking about 2028. They're, they're suggesting 20 in that American spectator piece um, is that she's a dishonest, narcissistic opportunist, Dan. I mean, this is Miss I want privacy. 
wants to run for president. Miss The royal family was a racist prison. Now wants to come out and uh, be she wants to be on cam at the at the Queen's Jubilee. Right. And she wants more. Uh, she wants to use her royal title. And Miss, I want privacy for my children. She's showing up at the Jubilee with her children who are going to yeah. be on cam. And she wants to rub elbows with all of the first tier royals and, you know, possibly be on camera, if possible, not on the balcony, I guess, you know, maybe not, maybe she can work her way into it and so on. Like what she says to us publicly is not how she really feels. What she wants is a spotlight. She's the same girl she was when she was backup girl number four for Howie Mandel, where she showed us she can open, open suitcases very well. But has she ever opened a campaign? Has she ever opened an office? Has she ever signed the, the front of a paycheck instead of the back of one? Has she employed any sort of a staff? Yes, she's a star. Yes, Trump was a star. That's not enough. That doesn't make you a president. Trump ran a business worth hundreds of millions, maybe a billion. We'll see. He says, so it's been questioned, but a very successful real estate business for decades, knew how to negotiate deals, was a real estate mogul and so on. She knows how to open the suitcase and how to look pretty in front of the camera, Dan. That's about it. <laughs> Indeed. Now, Megan, I was actually having lunch today uh, with someone who's a friend of mine who's from New York and mixes in these very liberal New York circles. And, and his take on this was fascinating, Megan, because he said all of his Liberal New Yorker friends have now turned on Meghan Markle too. So obviously Brits for some time have seen through her, but do you think Americans are starting to change their opinion? I think eventually they catch on. I mean, I think Americans can smell a phony and it took us a while because she came out and charmed everyone here and there, as you know, and people believe this whole sweet, you know, demure act that she put on in the beginning. But look, once she went out, and I really think this was her greatest sin, I, I, even greater than calling the royal family racist while, while you know, the queen's husband was ailing and so on. Her greatest sin was in the midst of the pandemic with hundreds of thousands of people dying in our country and yours. Um, she actually asked us to give a damn about what title her kid was getting. <laughs> no one cared. No one cares now. Miss, I grew up going to the Sizzlers and getting the $5 special. Wants us to believe she's a woman of the people. Meanwhile, we see her parading in the high fashion outfits at the Invictus Games and lamenting that her son doesn't have the proper title of prince and acting like a victim and crying in her soup and comparing herself to the stupid Ariel from The Little Mermaid because she lost her voice. Meanwhile, it's like you have the biggest microphone in the yeah. world. Any journalist on, on either continent would speak to you. And I do think eventually... Americans catch on. I think we're there. That is good to hear. That is good to hear. So, <laughs> Megan, you're not predicting a President Markle. You don't think it will happen. If she runs, she will not be the only Megan running because I will personally take her on just so there is somebody who has two nickels to rub together on the ticket someplace. <laughs> the most sane Megan in America. That is Megan <laughs> Kelly, star US journalist, host of the Megan Kelly Show, which you can find on Sirius XM and YouTube, plus as a very good podcast too. It's time now for Uncancelled. This is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. Now, if the BBC isn't harassing pensioners for unpaid licence fees or forcing woke claptrap down our throats for £159 a year, it's bound to be doing only one other thing. Wasting our money. Auntie's latest back of a fag packet plan to blow a chunk of its ever-dwindling budget is to spend £50 million. I mean, honestly, £50 million. 
That's more than what this channel <laughs> spends in an entire year on market research to find out what its viewers watch. Yep, that's right. Our world-famous broadcaster that has been flying the flag for nearly 100 years is now totally clueless about its audience. But we knew that anyway, didn't we? It was wrong on Brexit, the general election, Trump, and God knows whatever else. So I guess it's no surprise. Rod Little, does this 50 million pound splurge on surveys prove that the BBC is a dying institution? Yes, I think it does. <laughs> it's very funny, isn't it? You know, the BBC has 22,000 employees. Is not one of those 22,000 capable or charged with the task of finding out what people might quite like to watch on their televisions or listen to on their radios. 22,000 people, and no one seems to have a grip of what is meant to be broadcast to the, the populace, the people who pay for their existence. No one's got a clue. Uh, and so it tells you two things. The, the first thing and the most important thing it tells you is that the BBC is effectively saying, actually, we no longer know one way or the other what the public wants. Mm. Uh, and the second thing it tells you is that it has money to burn uh, because whilst the BBC still has its licence fee, and this is all tied up with why it doesn't know what the public wants, uh, it, has, it faces no commercial pressure whatsoever. <coughs> and so that the BBC producers and the apparatchiks there can commission whatever woke rubbish uh, and progressive dramas and boring, boring, godforsaken comedy programmes that fit in with the shibboleths that they all believe but are not remotely funny or entertaining without any fear of censure because, of course, they're not in the commercial world. So that that's kind of the first thing it tells you. The second thing it tells you is that they're getting towards the end of their tether because I think they do realise, I certainly think that Director General Tim Davey realises that the BBC actually actively despises uh, and derides the uh, aspirations, the culture, uh, uh, the way of life of the vast majority of people who pay for uh, the BBC's existence via their statutory tax uh, of 150 quid a year. Uh, so it, it is lost on all possible levels. And it's terribly sad in a way for someone like me who remembers the good things about the BBC as well as as well as the many, many bad things. Well, you worked there, Rod. A lot of people won't remember that, but you were there. You were, you were in a senior role. Yeah, yeah. God help me. Yes, I was. And, and it, already, it had already started then, Dan. You know, all that rubbish had already started. We had a, we had a, a community affairs uh, 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 kind of department which used to come down to me and they used to ask me when I was editor of the Today programme, what positive stories are you telling us about Africa this week? And I would say none whatsoever, because there aren't any. Uh, we, 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 are not, we are not here to socially engineer the world and to make people think that Africa is actually a vibrant, thriving, democratic place, simply because you want people to believe that. And the trouble is that that's the way the BBC's gone. And the truth about the BBC was once said by its former Director General, Sir Hugh Green, back in the 1960s, who said, we are going to educate this public, uh, we're going to give them programmes which they won't like and which they'll complain about, and we won't care because we know what's right. 
And that is the same thing which they think today. And it's a, it's the thing which runs through all their stuff, whether it's Doctor Who uh, lecturing people on transgenderism and Brexit, uh, whether it's the comedians who are all from the left, or the dramas which are predictable because if there's a black character in it, he's got to be a good guy. If there's a white male in it, he's got to be a bad guy, etc., etc. It's all choreographed, telegraphed. We know what it stands for. We know what it's about, and we don't like it anymore, Dan. Well, indeed. And Rod, these contracts are just genuinely mind-blowing for me, given the size of them, you know. And one of them is worth over £40 million alone. And, And Rod, the issue is we know who these contracts will be given to, who they'll be handed out to, which are... The people who dominate the TV industry, the, the the liberal folk who are based in London, who are all friends with the BBC executives, it just it actually just feels completely corrupt for me. I mean, one contract rod worth more than forty-two million pounds alone. It's just so wrong. Well, it's inconceivable that any private company would do that. Yeah, you know, any truly private company wouldn't do that. Government departments will do that. And the BBC will do it because it's got money to burn. And over the years, you know, when I was there uh, and since then and before then, they would invite in consultants to tell them how to run the place. Because, of course, with 22,000 people working there and about 21,500 senior executives, which is how it seemed to me, uh, there was no one who could actually run the place properly. And consultants would come in and be paid an enormous amount of money and nothing would change. Nothing would ever change. And every director general who's come in has said, we're going to have a bonfire. It's always a bonfire. We're going to have a bonfire of the middle management. We're going to divert money back into program making. And they never, ever do. They always increase the middle management, spend more on consultancies and less on programming. So that in the end, nobody will watch Doctor Who because it's a pile of crap. (laughs) Yes, and that much we do know. Rod Little, brilliant analysis as ever as to why the BBC is now very much a dying institution. Thank you, Rod. We'll speak next week. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. 